the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Throughout the Bible, Jerusalem and Babylon are often always drawn in contrast. Whereas Jerusalem is always it's the city of peace, Yerushalayim. It's the city of God. It is the city of good. It is the city of salvation. But all throughout the Bible, Babylon is just the opposite. It is the city of war. It is the city of evil. It is the city of unrest. It is the city of world system and, and humanism. And you see that all through the Bible. Jerusalem versus Babylon. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. All throughout the Bible, there is the theme of light versus darkness and good versus evil. There is no middle ground. The Bible says you are either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Jesus himself said that you were either with him or against him. Today, Pastor Gary will be challenging you to evaluate yourself to see if you are truly surrendered to God or if you're surrendered to Satan. Even if you claim to be indecisive, that's still making a decision to not repent and surrender to the Lord. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, as he begins his message, Who is Satan? So Isaiah is prophesying, again, somewhere between 740 and 700 B.C., And the interesting thing is when he writes here about Babylon in chapters 13 and 14, he's writing about a hundred years before they even come to be a world power. They will become, as he mentions there in chapter 13, the jewel of the kingdoms. Babylon will become the headquarters for one of the most powerful kingdoms on earth. We know it now historically, but Isaiah's prophesying at a time when Babylon in these days was just a a, a small know-nothing town. Nothing much was happening there. But Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to write about the rise of Babylon, and he's also going to talk about the fall of Babylon. Again, Babylon on a map is situated about 75 miles due south of Baghdad in Iraq. And we know of it now historically, but in Isaiah's day, it was, it was not a, a city of renown. We have the advantage of history knowing about the greatness that Babylon once achieved. Herodotus would be a historian who would write as an eyewitness about Babylon from what he observed, at least in its waning years. 
But we know from history that Babylon reached the pinnacle of its success during the days of King Nebuchadnezzar. We're talking mid-500s B.C. Herodotus would write in his observation of this great city that it was a, a city that was basically a square. It was 15 miles east to west, 15 miles north to south. In other words, it was 60 miles in circumference, just the city of Babylon. That the walls were 320 feet high. That's 30 stories. They were 87 feet thick, protecting Babylon. It is said that they could ride six chariots abreast on the top of the walls of Babylon and have chariot races. They did a marvelous thing, too, to add extra defense to the ancient city of Babylon because it's situated along the Euphrates River. They diverted part of the Euphrates to make a moat around the ancient city of Babylon and then under the walls and through the city as a meandering stream. And because Nebuchadnezzar replicated the great flower gardens of other uh, uh, tropical places on this kind of ziggurat, this, this kind of ascending tower, it became known as the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But Isaiah is writing it at a time about 100 years before any of that. And he sees it all, God's revealed it to him, and he prophesies about its rise, and he prophesies about its fall. Now, Babylon has a significant place in the Bible. The city of Babylon is mentioned 260 times from cover to cover in the Bible. That is more times, Babylon is mentioned, more times than any other city in the Bible next to Jerusalem. So you have a great prominence here with the mention of Babylon so many times. Jerusalem mentioned most in the Bible. Next to that, Babylon. But the interesting thing is throughout the Bible, Jerusalem and Babylon are often always drawn in contrast. Whereas Jerusalem is always, it's the city of peace, Jerusalem. It's the city of God. It is the city of good. It is the city of salvation. But all throughout the Bible, Babylon is just the opposite. It is the city of war. It is the city of evil. It is the city of unrest. It is the city of world system and, and humanism. And you see that all through the Bible. Jerusalem versus Babylon. Uh, the first time that we see Babylon mentioned in the Bible is Genesis chapter 10. It was built by a guy by the name of Nimrod. He was not a good guy. He built Babylon, and in Genesis chapter 11, it talks about the people of Babylon who built a tower in their city called the Tower of Babel. Babel for Babylon. The Tower of Babel was built because the people, in opposition to God, wanted to draw closer to the stars so they could worship the starry hosts. The first occult worship happens in Babylon. It becomes the, the seedbed for all occult practices in worship. The worship of the sun, the worship of the moon, the worship of stars, all of that began in Babylon. The first time we see it there, Genesis 10 and 11. The last time we see Babylon mentioned in the Bible is Revelation 17 and 18. And in Revelation, it tells us that what is now a pile of ruins and just an archaeological dig, that Babylon will again be rebuilt. And it will become the center for one world government, one world religion, and one world economy. This is what the Bible predicts. The Bible says that Babylon will rise from the ashes and will again be this place where it will be the seat of one world government, one world religion, and one world economy. And that 
In Revelation 17, Babylon is called the great prostitute because all the other nations of the world will be seduced by her humanistic, false religion, one world government, one economy uh, proposition. So all these other nations will be seduced by Babylon. And so in Revelation 18, Babylon will be overthrown once and for all. And Jesus returns in Revelation 19. So, so we're not done with Babylon. But the interesting thing is that in the Bible, it's always spoken of as it relates to this evil world system. The place where, where um, humanism and, and demonic things and occult worship and, and all of this rises. And so what happens here is Isaiah, now writing in Isaiah chapter 14, gives us a glimpse as to what is behind all that. And in particular, who is behind all that. And it is none other than Satan. And what we find nestled here in Isaiah chapter 14 is this veiled reference, but it's clear, a reference to Satan throughout the 14th chapter. And what Isaiah does here, this is by inspiration of the Spirit, what God causes Isaiah to do is to use the king of Babylon as a type or a picture of Satan. So the king of Babylon was a real guy, but he was a ruthless guy. He was a pagan guy, and he was an enemy of God. And so there's an immediate context to this story where he will be overthrown, and God deals with him, okay? But there's this veiled reference how the king of Babylon serves to be a picture for us of Satan. And all in the 14th chapter, starting in verse 12, down through what I read there around verse 20... There's this passage here that, that really is about Satan because he is the power behind not just the king of Babylon. He is the power behind all evil world systems. So, you know, to delight your day, you've come out of the rain, you've come into church now. Today we're going to talk about Satan. How fun is that? But let me explain to you why this is important. In the margin of your Bible, you can write next to Isaiah 14, write Ezekiel 28. Because between Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, now we're not going to read out of Ezekiel 28, but I will refer to it a few times. Between Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, what we have are two chapters that give us the most detail about Satan, how he originated, what went wrong, and what his ultimate demise will be. So we're going to see this here out of chapter 14, and I'm going to refer to Ezekiel 28 also. But listen, folks, this... this, this should appeal to us on a real human level, but I'm going I'm to mention to you why it is that we are not just needful of knowing these things, but why we seem to be fascinated with this kind of a story. Because whenever we start to talk about Satan, you know, we think about the whole story of good versus evil. And everybody likes the good story of good versus evil and how, and how the hero wins and the villain is subdued. Why, why do you think there's so much interest in movies like Spider-Man and Superman and Black Panther? Because, you know, we, we like a good hero and, and we like the villain to be defeated. And so, you know, we're kind of drawn to that. Now, more than just Hollywood, though, we need to understand Satan is a real being. He's a real being. Um, He's not just the counter on one shoulder to the good angel on your other shoulder, okay? He's not not the guy in a red suit and a pitchfork, got to get all that stuff out of your head. And by the way, he he is not the opposite of God, because God has no equal, and so therefore he has no opposite. But that said, Satan is opposed to everything concerning God, and he's opposed to everything that God loves, including you. 
Because God loves you so much, and God the Father put in motion a plan to redeem you from this sinful, wicked world and to rescue you and me from the kingdom of darkness and to take us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, okay? God has our best interest always at heart. That's the whole message of the cross and God's love for us, rescuing us, forgiving us, redeeming us. But Satan, Satan doesn't have your best interest at heart. Because you look like your father and you're loved by your father, Satan hates you. And he wants to destroy your life and he wants to destroy your marriage and he wants to kill your kids and he wants to wreck your, your, your business and he wants to do everything he can to discourage and to deceive and to, de- and to tempt to do everything he can. Because, listen, he's not oblivious to Scripture. He knows Scripture. When, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Satan's quoting Scripture every time. Now, Jesus hit him back with Scripture because Satan misused and misquoted Scripture, but he knows it. He knows Scripture. And Satan knows his ultimate demise. So he's on a course of trying to take as many people with him as possible. He wants you. He, he, he wants you to be with him, not to be with God. He wants you to spend eternity with him in a lake of fire, not to go to heaven and spend eternity with your heavenly father. And so Satan is at work. And so he's a real formidable foe. Now, we don't, we don't need to, you know, wig out and get worried because as, course, as part of the Bible study today, I hope to kind of leave you with a sense of just you know, your assurance in Christ and who you are in the Lord and not to be worried, but to be aware, to have your eyes wide open. That there is a real enemy of your souls. And Jesus said, the enemies come but to steal, kill, and destroy. There's nothing good about him. And everything about him, his whole MO, is the, are those three things about you. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so to the degree that we can at least expose him and realize, okay, he's at work. Let me be aware of him. And let me understand how he operates. We'll, we'll be better off to just kind of find our confidence in the Lord and know who we are in Christ and, and rest in the Lord and not be fearful, but to be aware. Is everybody, everybody on board with me? Everybody know what we're talking about now, okay? So let's take a look here at the passage here. Um, throughout the Bible, Satan has several names or titles. Here are a few. Uh, Satan, that's actually the Hebrew word, Satan, meaning adversary. He's also known as the devil, which means false accuser or slanderer. He's known in the Bible as the tempter, the wicked one, the accuser of the brothers, the prince of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the dragon. In Revelation 12, he's the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And in this story, in Isaiah 14, 12, he's known as Lucifer. Now, if you, if you have a King James Bible or a New King James, you'll see that name right there in verse 12. Look here again, chapter 14, verse 12. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. Now, if you have a King James or New King James, instead of morning star, it says Lucifer, capital L. It's it's a given name for him. Other translations, like what I'm reading from, says morning star. Other translations say day star. So where do we get this name Lucifer? The Hebrew word here is halal. And halal means morning star, day star, or light bearer, light bearer bearer. In the Latin translation of your Bibles, the Latin for morning star or for this phrase here is lucemfere. And lucemfere translates light bearer. And that's where we get the name Lucifer from, lucemfere, the light bearer. He is Lucifer. 
Look, don't, don't think that he's the way Hollywood portrays this, very dark and sinister. He's a very shiny being. In fact, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. First time we're introduced to him in Genesis 3, in verse 1, he's referred to as a serpent. The Hebrew word for serpent in the Hebrew is, is nachash, and nachash means something glittery. It's a word that, that uh, in Hebrew can mean bronze, copper, uh, or brass. And so I want you to picture him as originally, and I don't think there's any reason to believe he, he's changed, even though his heart has become wicked, his appearance is shiny, he masquerades as an angel of light. Ezekiel 28, 13 says that he was adorned with every precious stone mounted in settings of gold. So when Satan or Lucifer was originally created, his very being had inlaid within his being precious gems in settings of gold. So I want you to picture a very magnificent, really a very shiny, beautiful creature that God originally created as a light bearer. Now, by the way, for those of you who know your Bibles, you also know that Jesus is called Morning Star in Revelation twenty-two sixteen. But note the difference. Jesus is the bright morning star. He is the true light bearer. Satan was originally designed to reflect the glory of God, to reflect the true light, even though his heart is now wicked. So in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, Jesus is referred to as the morning star, a similar name we have for Satan, but, but Lucifer is a reflection of the glory. He is not really the possessor of the glory of God. Now, verse 12 here in your Bibles also says that he fell from heaven and was cast down to earth. This, by the way, is how we know. This does not exclusively refer to the king of Babylon. King of Babylon didn't fall down from heaven. King of Babylon was not cast down to earth, but Satan was. In Ezekiel 28, it tells us that Satan was originally created as a guardian cherub, meaning a chief among angels, and that he, on account of his pride, rebelled against God... And when he rebelled, he led a rebellion. And the Bible says as many as a third of the angels in heaven rebelled with him. So now Satan is over this evil kingdom of fallen angels, also known as demons. And Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen says that his heart became proud on account of his beauty, and he corrupted his wisdom because of his splendor. So it says in Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen, God says, so I threw you to the earth. So he gets kicked out of heaven. Revelation 12, 9 says the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Jesus described it like this in Luke 10, 18. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So originally designed beautiful guardian angel kicked out of heaven. Now his playground is the earth and he wants to do everything he can. Again, to kill, steal, and destroy related to you and your life and your future and your hope. And so here in Isaiah 14, Satan makes five I will statements between verses 13 and 14. And here they are. He says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the mount. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will be like God. He makes five I will statements. Pride fills his heart, and he wants to be not just above everything. He wants to be like God. Now, this first statement, he says, I will ascend to heaven. What he really means here is I will rule over heaven. 
Satan had a desire to be in charge, to usurp the authority of God. You know, you contrast that with the spirit of Jesus, where Jesus being fully God in Philippians 2, 6, and 7 did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You know, even though he's fully God, he laid it down. He took on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself. He condescended to our level to be like us and to die for us. Fully God, but fully man, Jesus was. And, and he did that out of his heart for us. But he, but he lays down the glory of heaven and condescends to our level. That's the spirit of Jesus. Whereas Lucifer's spirit is, I'm not going down, I'm going up. And I'm going to send till I'm over and above and ruling everything. Listen, listen to me. A Luciferian spirit never wants to be subject to authority. You notice the spirit of Jesus, he was always submissive to the will of the Father. He didn't do or say anything except that the Father told him what to say and how to say it. He was constantly on a mission to please the Father, obey the Father, submit to the Father. But Satan, on the other hand, is is one who wanted to usurp the authority of God. And it is a reminder to us that whatever, whatever structure God has you placed in, honor that authority structure. Because the Luciferian spirit is the one that says, I'm anti-authority, I'm anti-God, I'm anti-structure, I want to be in charge. That's what was part of Satan's pride here. And then he also talks about how I will raise my throne above the stars of God. The word stars there, probably not a reference to literal stars, but probably a reference to angels. Because in Revelation 12, when Satan rebelled in heaven, it says that he swept with his tail a third of the stars with him, meaning angels. So he's basically saying, I want to rule over all the angels. Number three, I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of the Sacred Mountain. Well, the Sacred Mountain is Jerusalem. It's Mount Moriah. It's the Temple Mount. And one day during the millennial reign, Jesus will rule and reign there again on earth for a thousand years and then new heaven and new earth. So Satan is looking ahead to that time and he says, no, I want to sit in Jerusalem and I want to sit on God's throne and I want to rule over the earth. Number four, I will ascend from the tops, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Now, clouds probably, again, doesn't really mean clouds, may in fact reference people, like how in Hebrews 12, 1, after it lists the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, 1 says, now therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In Jude 12, false teachers are called clouds without rain. It's just one more level. I want to ascend over all people. I want to ascend over all the angels. I want to ascend over heaven. And, and then number five, he says, and I will be like God. That's my ultimate desire, Satan says. I want to be God. Billy Graham once said, quote, we are never more like the devil than when we touch the glory, end quote. But God gets in the last word here, folks. I want you to notice between verses 15 and 19, what happens here in verse 15 it says but you were brought down to the grave some of your translations say sheol or hell that is the hebrew there sheol that eventually god will bind satan for a thousand years cast him into hell he will be released for a time and then ultimately thrown into the lake of fire but he will be brought down to the grave in verse 16 Isaiah says there, those who see you stare at you, you ponder your, they ponder your fate. In other words, God will expose Satan before the eyes of the world. They will see. Everybody will understand that he's been defeated. In verse 19, it, it says, but you are cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch. You are covered with the slain. 
Testament book of Isaiah is a powerful text filled with prophecy, history, and the grandeur of your Creator. God uses Isaiah to teach the Israelites about who He is and what He expects from those who call Him Lord. He also warns them against coming consequences of their actions, giving them the opportunity to repent and come back to Him. Isaiah also tells of a coming salvation the child who would one day die for the sins of every person on earth, the Son of God, Jesus. There's much more to learn from Isaiah, so we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching from Pastor Gary, you can listen again online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take these messages with you on the go. Find the link to download at our website or search for the Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each Sunday. And child care is available. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know